0: another edition of the Drew Goodman podcast with Julie Brownman. I'm Drew and the next voice you're about to hear will be Julie. Julie?
1: I am Julie and I am de- in Denver and you by the uh, grace of modern technology are in Cincinnati which is pretty unbelievable that we pulled this off. Modern,
0: Yeah well I took a plane here and that's modern technology <laughs> so that's why I'm here. Actually, uh, we were in New York and then we were in Washington, our nation's capital, and now in Cincinnati. This has uh, been a lengthy road trip, longest road trip of the year for the Rockies. Uh, Did not go real well in New York, salvaged a game against the Yankees on that Sunday. Washington, other than seeing the sights, didn't go real well as the Rockies uh, lost the first three and then had a dramatic comeback in the ninth inning to beat Fernando Rodney. And yesterday, as we speak, it got off to a great start in Cincinnati with the Rockies winning 12 to 2. And uh, everybody feeling a little bit better about the Rockies the last two days. But they they need, Julie, a run uh, of about two to three weeks where maybe they lose just a couple of times because they they dug themselves a hole with that tough three-week stretch. There's no denying that
1: yeah, you know, it's so interesting. Baseball is such an interesting por- sport because things can happen so quickly. You know, when we were taping the first two podcasts with the Charlie Blackman interview, I think they were a couple games back um, in the wild Card, and then had that slump in July, and now you know, won the last two. So tell me from your perspective what happened over those couple weeks to get in that hole that you just talked about.
0: You know, it was a combination of things. Going into the All-Star break, they lost six straight games. And a lot of it was attached to pitching, as it always is in baseball. They were not getting quality starts. And on the days where they did get decent pitching, they they didn't hit. That happened more recently. Uh, So I always call it, Julie, baseball symmetry. And to win consistently, I mean, you're going to have the game where you outscore the opponent. We've seen that plenty of times at Coors Field in particular. You're going to have that game where they pitch well and you pitch well. You don't hit, they don't hit, and you win two to one. But by and large, to win consistently, you have to pitch pretty well where where you're pitching. Maybe they don't throw a shutout, but they keep you in the game and you do enough offensively to win and you play solid defense. So in all three facets of the sport, pitching, defense, and offense – you are above average across the board. Then you win. Then you win more frequently than, when you, than you lose. But the Rockies went a three-week period. On the days they hit, they didn't pitch, and so they were in one of those softball games, and you're not going to win every one of those. And then on the days that they pitch pretty well, they went through a period where they didn't hit, and that's been more in the second half after the All-Star break um, where their big four um, – really didn't get going. So and they haven't played the kind of defense, Julie, to be honest, they have not played the kind of defense that they have not just last year, but pretty much year in and year out they've been one of the top defensive teams in baseball and this year they've been decidedly mediocre.
1: So what's that all about from your perspective? And what did Buddy say about that about the defense? Cuz that really has been such a solid thing from the Rockies. That that's been something like you said that okay, you can count on the defense.
0: Well, you don't want to point fingers. They're great on the left side. Nolan Arenado, we know who he is. Trevor Story has gold gloves in his future. I think Ryan McMahon's done a really solid job at second base, kind of underrated because he's overshadowed by the two guys on the left side. Daniel Murphy, you know, does not have great range. And there have been a couple of miscues there. So they haven't been great defensively. Uh, at first. And in the outfield, you have two guys who are 33 years old playing uh, in the outfield and Charlie and and Desi, who are great athletes and and have at times been really good defenders. But this year, they have been below average by most defensive metrics. And I think Buddy's done a good job of, of trying to get those guys off their feet um, especially in the case of Ian Desmond playing in center field. Tough righties, he's been seated, And now what happened on this most recent road trip, Buddy made a decision. I'm sure, you know, he called Ian Desmond in, he called David Dahl in, and they have they have switched. David Dahl is their most consistent and youngest outfielder. He's playing in center field now, and Desmond's playing in left. So let's see how that plays out going forward because it's just a you know a recent occurrence. Uh, But those are the areas where the Rockies could be better defensively. And one of the reasons that their numbers are not as glowing defensively as they were a year ago and, and really the last couple of years.
1: So you can take us a little bit behind the curtain. When teams go through, like baseball teams go through slumps like this, what is the clubhouse like, I mean, it almost got historically bad, you know, and it's baseball. So it can, it can switch very quickly. So what, what is it like when a team is going through that? Because I think there's a vibe, but there's also guys that remember that it is baseball, right. And that things can change very quickly.
0: I, I, you know, Julie, I think two things happen. I think on a bad team, one that has no expectations, it it doesn't have guys want to win. I don't care where you are, even if you don't have expectations, guys want to win. And when you lose, it's not a feel good thing. But I think for the Rockies, it was an awful feeling because they have high expectations. They've been to the playoffs each of the last two years. They had designs when the year began on winning a division championship. That clearly is not going to happen, but they still have designs on going to the postseason. And when the losses start piling up, It's not a fun place. They're unhappy. I always say this as miserable as fans are as frustrated as fans are when, when the Rockies don't play well, I, you know, I don't like it as a broadcaster, which I, you know, I'm, I'm also a fan. I want to see this club do exceptionally well. I want to see them win every time out. It's hard. It's tough, but it's harder on the guys that, that play because they have extremely high expectations. So Hadn't been a fun place. Hadn't hadn't been, uh, you know, a cheery uh, environment. But uh, the last couple of nights, the plane flight to Cincinnati was a good one after the Rockies came from behind. And then yesterday against a guy who's been pitching great, Luis Castillo. I mean, he's in the mix for the National League Cy Young. They get a three-run home run from Daniel Murphy in the first. They run him off after five innings, and then in the top of the ninth, they blow the cover off At Murphy had a three-run double in in the ninth inning, and they score six. So to win in that fashion, the old laugher, which kind of eases the tension, hopefully that gets guys going Mm -hmm. again.
1: So tell me, when we did the first couple podcasts, we were talking about um, Kyle Freeland coming back after the all-star break and expectations for him and how he gets back on the horse and, and coming back, it probably wasn't, you know, the performance that he wanted to see or that we wanted to see, but his last outing was pretty good. And he showed the fiery Kyle Freeland uh, that we love. So just and, and any conversations that you've had with him about what, how, where Kyle Freeland's head and game is right now.
0: Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I, I think all Rockies fans were, were really thrilled with what they saw in Washington, six innings of, one run baseball, but that, that was an unearned run. So it's basically six shutout innings. Uh, he w- he was really good. He's always going to be fiery, ends up getting thrown out of the baseball game, as you alluded to, okay. uh, after. Uh, but you saw that mix, that, that great competitor, but the stuff... Uh, you know, he's always going to be tough on righties because he, you know, he throws glove side so well, pounding righties in. He had that epic battle with Rendon, 13 pitches early in the game, and then ultimately strikes him out with a four seam fastball. He was, uh, he was good on the other side of the plate he changed speeds well that game looked a whole lot like many of his games from a year ago and you know what going back to the previous game at yankee stadium i thought i thought if you looked carefully at that game he had the mm-hmm. the grand slam by Encarnacion. and he had him out front it was a yankee stadium grand slam he was he was off the end of the bat you know he's a strong guy but he hit it like 330 feet uh, at Coors Field, it's probably a flyout. At a lot of places, it's a flyout. So I thought there was a lot of good that came out of that one. But Washington was, as I said, very much like what we saw on a consistent basis last year. I talked to him for a while yesterday, and he was he was really happy. He would I think the confidence is returning based on not only the Washington performance but how he's thrown lately, and. Uh, you know, we've talked about it on this podcast. This is obvious. If the Rockies are to make a run and, and try to get healthy again in these final couple of months, Julie, Kyle Freeland has to be a centerpiece. He knows that. The club knows that. The opposition knows that. It's all about pitching. And, um, you know, he, I, I saw in talking to him yesterday a guy whose confidence uh, has returned, who was really pleased with how he competed and, more importantly, how he threw the baseball.
1: That is awesome to hear. Hey, speaking of uh, the Yankees, so you grew up in New York. You were the um, you were the Mets fan, right? You hated the Yankees.
0: Yeah, the or interesting wrong? story. No, <laughs> no, you're you're ne- you're never wrong, even if you are wrong, and then I'll point it out. But you know, you're just you know, we we made well, we made this agreement that you would never be wrong. I think you stipulated that that contract you handed me over the napkin that night. Um, <laughs> right. I grew up. I grew up in Westchester County as a Mets fan, a diehard Mets fan. And here's the quick story. My dad grew up at 164th in the Grand Concourse. Yankee Stadium is literally three blocks away. He used to walk across the bridge, across the, uh, the, the Harlem River to the northern part of Manhattan where the polo grounds lied because everything's passed down in new york his his father my grandfather was a um giants fan so he couldn't be a yankees fan he had to be a giants fan so he actually worked at the polo grounds when he was 16 he used to take when when folks like us would come in we just had a press ticket and he'd rip the press ticket and that's how you got in and then once the game started he could go in and watch so in 51 the year bobby thompson hit the shot heard around the world um my dad Saw 70 of the 77 home games that year because the season was 154 games. And he was at the famous Bobby Thompson shot heard round the world game. In fact, he was in the outfield, jumped over the wall. They didn't have the same kind of security back then. And he just ran on the field like so many other fans. (laughs) Um, so, so So when the Giants left... He adopted the Mets like a lot of Giants fans did. You didn't just adopt the Yankees. You were one or the other. I always tell people that if you're from a city that has multiple teams, it's not like, hey, I root for everybody. I just hope everybody does well. You go to Chicago, you're not going to find too many folks rooting for the Sox and the Cubs. Sox fans hate the Cubs, and they hate the Cubs fans. Same thing in New York. So I grew up a – there's a long-winded version of why I grew up a Mets fan.
1: OK, so do you revert when you're calling the games, do you revert back to Little Drew where you're like, oh, my God, I hate those guys. But you don't say that on the air.
0: Um, no, I, I I try to be professional, but <laughs> no, I, I've never I've never been, a, you know, a Yankee guy. Now, there are guys over the years that I you come to respect as you mature, obviously respect, uh, you know, Derek Jeter. That's, that's an obvious one. I like Aaron Boone a lot currently, obviously Joe Girardi. I'm a big fan of when he was managing, uh, the Yankees. Now that now the Yankees, it's, you know, it's, it's Colorado Rockies East, you know, you have Otto, Mike Tauchman, who's a great guy, uh, DJ, who's one of my all time favorite, uh, people. And we're going to hear from DJ a little bit later on. So, because they have those guys, you know, I, I check in more on their Yankees than I normally do because I want to see how those folks are doing.
1: So one thing I really want to talk about in this podcast, and like you mentioned, you had a chance to talk to DJ when you were in New York, which is kind of a big deal because DJ doesn't talk a lot. The fact that you got 10 minutes out of him, we'll talk about that, is kind of a big deal and it's a good interview and we'll play it in a little bit. But big news, I think for Rockies fans, Troy Tulowitzki retires um, just a couple days ago this week and... You know, I know he was such a popular player here, but for me, I always felt like he was a player that didn't reach his full potential. And maybe some of that had to do with injuries that always followed him in his career. How do you view Troy's time here with the Rockies? And how, what would you say is Troy's legacy in the game?
0: It's a great question. Uh, First of all, he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory and Injuries, you know, obviously and uh, without question derailed his career. You look at the final numbers, well over 200 home runs, a 290 batting average, an OPS of, uh, I believe, 853, uh, gold gloves, multiple gold gloves, multiple silver sluggers. This guy does not have to apologize for the career he had. For a period of time, he was the standard bearer at shortstop in the game of baseball. He was a fiery competitor. At a very young age, he helped lead the Rockies to a World Series. He had 48-plus thousand on a nightly basis chanting his name in, in in rhythmic terms. So his legacy in Colorado, though it became tainted from his perspective and, and sullied maybe from his perspective when he was traded to Toronto and did not end well. He's not the first athlete to be disgruntled with how a relationship ends. Troy Tulowitzki is one of the most important and impactful players in the Rockies' 27-year history, and that cannot be denied. There's a part of me, you know, it's, it's hard to say, Julie, hey, you feel sorry for somebody that made, you know, north of $150 million doing something they had passion for. But there's a part of me that feels sorry for Troy because I w- would see how dedicated and how hard this guy worked to stay on the field. He Everything he did in his life, Was about being the best baseball player possible. He slept in a hyperbaric chamber. He would do every, he would get to the ballpark hours and hours before, once he started having these, you know, hip flexor and and quad issues and groin issues. And he was, he was doing hours of work just so he could get on the field that night and, you know, to see it always come back to another injury.
1: I don't think I knew that he slept in a hyperbaric chamber.
0: Yeah, he did. I know he was doing that at one point. You know, once he went to Toronto, I mean, if he continued that, I have no idea. But I know at one point in time in Colorado, he was sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber.
1: Wow, (laughs) that's that's dedication. So what was he like? And I know that like Nolan came out and he talked about just like you were saying that he Troy taught him how to work hard, that work ethic, and he just kind of grew up in the game watching Troy. What about Troy as a guy and Troy as a leader on this team and how he affected his other teammates?
0: Troy's not the first human being, much less the first baseball player that, that moods could swing. I like Troy a lot. And and, um, Mm -hmm. Troy could be prickly. He could be prickly to his teammates. Sometimes he could be edgy to his teammates and even with the media, but other times He could be really engaging. And I think with any, you know, we all have friends that you go, you know what, uh, stay away from Julie today. She's kind of in, you know, tough mood today, right? Which, you know, we deal with, (laughs) you know, six out of seven days a week, we deal with you in that regard. So, but on the seventh day, oh my goodness, (laughs) wonderful. (laughs) And I had some, you know, long and engaging conversations. And one thing about Troy, when Troy would talk, Troy, Troy was, Mm -hmm. was honest, um, he was open, you know, maybe even sometimes to a fault. So I I enjoyed those conversations with Troy. I understood you weren't going to have those on a daily basis, but he's somebody uh, that I had great respect for because he did everything he could to be the best at his vocation, and you know, he had he had unbelievable passion. Um, for that and um so listen you know at, at times could he be moody absolutely i can be moody what but uh he's somebody he's somebody i have great respect for
1: you know i think i agree with you too i do feel bad for athletes that you know that have talent like we're we're seeing that right now in Denver with Jake butt who plays tight end for the Broncos, who cannot get out on the practice field for the the life of him. And he's trying so hard to rehab from all those ACL surgeries that he had, but being injury prone is just, it, it may end his career. And I always felt like that about Troy is that we never got to see Troy at his full potential. And I'm sure that just killed him. Right.
0: Absolutely. I mean, especially when, let me give you an example the people, who play in the NFL, who play in major league baseball, the NHL, NBA, they are the very best at their craft in the world. But even at that level, there's a varying uh, degree. There's different levels within that level of dedication of effort put forth. And with Troy, he maxed out in everything. I mean, his talent was even in among the best in the world was at the very top his care for his body his care for his craft his work ethic was at the top of the charts and yet to see it taken down because he couldn't stay healthy that's tough. You know, guys, you know, there will be great players that have a serious injury and then they overcome it. and You almost forget. Oh, yeah. I remember a few years ago, he missed a whole season because he had Tommy John or he blew out his knee. But it was a singular event. Unfortunately for Troy, it, it was year after year. And I'm sure some of these because they are all they were all tied to the legs. I'm sure some of them or, or many of them had to do with previous injuries somewhere else within his legs.
1: So coming up after the break, we are also going to check in with another former Rocky. You had a chance to sit down with DJ Lemayhu now with the Yankees and do an exclusive interview with him. And we're really looking forward to hearing from that because we don't get to hear from DJ a lot. So we'll do that next on the Drew Goodman podcast with Julie Brownman.
0: You know what today is? Today is a wonderful day to buy a new home. Go out and buy your new home and then you have to pay for it. And I have a wonderful idea for you. Call my friends, my good friends at Ideal Home Loans. They're the best in the business in Denver because they listen. They listen intently and then they help you get the best possible deal that you could get out on the market. Give them a call, 303-867-7000. That's Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. Tell them Drew Goodman sent you. I know you will appreciate their service. Everybody who's dealt with them gives them the highest of marks. So when we went to the Bronx the other day, one of the things I was most excited about doing was catching up. With David John LeMahieu. I love DJ. I love how he plays. I love he, how he plays with the Chip on his shoulder. And he is renowned for being very quiet, but he is a, I don't want to call him a kid anymore. He's a grown ass man, but he is he is a great guy. And one of the first things I asked him,
2: when did it hit you, you were a New York Yankee? I think walking into spring training, first day, um, just having the NY at wearing the NY, and um, and then you know opening day putting on those pinstripes, uh, and uh, you know throughout the season you're still kind of shaking myself, feeling like I'm a little out of place every once in a while, but uh, um, settled in, and um, you know obviously excited to be. I've never asked you this in all those years you were playing
0: in Colorado, but you, I, I know you were in Michigan, but you grew up in a couple of different places. Who did you follow as
2: a kid? Uh, players or? Well, just or, as a team. I mean, who were you a fan of? Um, no, no, I wouldn't say one team in particular. Um, you know, I liked the Cubs just because the Cubs were the first major league game I went to. Um, and then, uh, you know, I moved to Detroit, so then I followed, started following the Tigers and, like the Brewers for a while, so no, no one, you know, really, in particular. But I just like, you know, just enjoying baseball. Yeah. W- were the Yankees ever on the list? Um, were you a Jeter guy? I love Jeter. Yeah, yeah, I love Jeter. I think every kid, in my, my era, my generation, loved loved Jeter. Um, you know, I, I can't say that I was, you know, a Yankee fan, but I wasn't a Yankee tater. Um, and, and like you said, I always respected Jeter, so. I grew up here,
0: I hated the Yankees My dad grew up three blocks from here He walked across the bridge and went to the polo grounds And was a giant fan, so I grew up a Mets fan Uh, When it became a reality That a place where you became an all-star And a gold glover And it was home to you The Rockies When the the business side became the reality That you were not going to continue in Denver How tough was that And and how long did it take for you to, to come to terms with that?
2: Uh, well, I think it was, it was pretty early in the off season. Uh, you know, we had talked a little bit, you know, here and there throughout the years about trying to stay in Denver and, you know, I always kind of just thought I was going to be Rocky. And, um, and then, you know, once they kind of said they weren't interested in, in doing anything, um, you know, uh, I was, I was, I was, you know, I, was, I guess I was ready to start a new chapter and um you know wasn't easy but uh you know I think I think the day I agreed with the Yankees was you know one of the most relieved moments um just with how free is going these days and um it was just I was just very like relieved excited and um you know it, it was tough but uh you know, when the Yankees were interested initially, that gave me a lot of excitement right away. And then when it happened, obviously I was really excited. So it worked out well.
0: It obviously did. One of the things I've always admired about you, and, and I've said this in athletics in general I'll take a chip on the shoulder guy over a pretty guy every day. Not saying you're not pretty, but you play with a chip on your shoulder. And it doesn't take a lot to put fuel in your tank to get that chip, does it?
2: Uh, um, no, I, I wouldn't say so, yeah. I, you know, I always like to play with chipmunk, like you said. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe some of it's, you know, just me just making stuff up just to be able to reach that focus. But some of it's real for sure. And, um, you know, whatever it is, I you know, I try to find something that day and, and play with it.
0: Was it tough to acclimate right away to the Yankees because, again, you'd put up great numbers in Colorado, batting title, all of the things that you achieved there, yet this is a different animal. And, and sometimes the whole course Field thing would enter the picture and people were Yankee fans, were as you've come to find out, are as passionate as any fan base in sports. So who is this guy? Yeah, he
2: did it in Colorado, but did, did you carry that at all? Um, not really. I was just excited to be a Yankee. Um, uh, I, I was, excited. Um, you know, for me, you know, the whole course Field thing, uh, you know, I just, I feel like I'm a good hitter no matter where. Um, and, you know, I, like I said, I was just excited to be a Yankee and I really care where I'm hitting. And, um, you know, like I said, it, it's it's working out well. And, uh, but like you said, these fans here are passionate, passionate for sure. Um, so, you know, for good and for bad, it's um, it's a lot of fun to play, and you know, in front of these fans for sure. When you
0: first heard, uh, and I don't know if it was Brian Cashman or Aaron Boone who said, "Hey, we want to use you in multiple spots," what was your reaction?
2: Um, well, I was a little surprised that the Yankees were interested, just because they had Andahar at third, uh, Glaber at second, um, you know, and a couple of really good players at first. Um, so initially I, you know, was kind of surprised that they showed interest because they had a young, talented infield. Um, but when they kind of broke it down and said, you know, we want you to move around, but we want you to be a part of this team. You're going to be playing a ton of games, you know, we value your defense. So, um, so kind of when I thought about it, you know, I, I came up through the minors playing multiple positions. Um, so for me, um, you know, it was a challenge, and um, but it was something you know I was comfortable with. So, um, you know, and, and as the years gone on, I've got, gotten more and more comfortable with it, and, and actually really enjoyed it.
0: Was there a moment when you started traveling with this club where you knew it was going to be different, but you said, "Man, this is different," because the Yankees are you know they're, they're the Rolling Stones or the Beatles wherever they go.
2: Uh, um. Yeah, I mean, pretty much every road game is feels pretty similar to a home game, um, just because the, Yan- the Yankee fans on the road are so passionate. Um, you know, we got that with you know in Denver, you get you know you get some teams that are you know like the Cubs and Dodgers and Giants that you get quite a few fans on the road for them, and um, so now to be part of that an organization like that, um, you know, it's it's easy to get up for games. That's for sure. Yeah. So, uh, you got to get together with your old buddies at the All-Star Game. How much fun was that? Yeah, it was good. A good time. Um, you know, I got to spend, you know, three or four hours with, with all of them uh, right when they landed and uh, got to catch up a little bit and, Yeah, it was it was good, it was cool. I, I said, because I
0: saw the picture, Joel uh, showed me a picture of uh, of you guys all on the couch together and uh, you look like five, ten-year-olds having a sleepover
2: yeah so, yeah yeah that was about it we we're just you know hey how's new york how's colorado how's this guy how's that guy and um, yeah we were i think we were up to like 4 four thirty in the morning just you know just just shooting the shit and just hanging out and catching up so yeah it was cool i was i was kidding you the other day when i first
0: saw you um having been from here i said I was proud of you that you're living in Manhattan. I said that had to be Jordan's thing, and you told me no. It works out perfectly. Tell everybody why.
2: Yeah, I got uh, I got I got a cold, dark bedroom. I have Starbucks right downstairs and a couple of breakfasts right down the block. So, I mean, that's perfect for me. And you're close yeah.
0: to the yard, right?
2: Yeah, close to the yard. Yeah, fifteen minutes, no traffic. Fifteen minutes. Yeah. How,
0: how's uh, How's your wife Jordan doing? Living in the city, she enjoying it. Uh, she loves
2: it. Okay. Yeah, she loves it. Yeah, between between the shopping and the convenience, um, and 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 you know, if we go out to dinner um, for her to pick a new place every night, yeah, she loves it. Everybody got
0: to know you in Colorado, and, and you. You know, I always advocated you about this. Jordan does all the talking for both of you. So but now you're a Yankee. So you go out and you're also six four. So people gotta be recognizing you left and right. As opposed to Colorado, maybe people left
2: you left you more alone? Um yeah, I would say a little bit more in New York. Yeah. Um they love their baseball here. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure
0: how's uh when your families come in and, and all of a sudden you become the guy you become here how are they handling it?
2: um I you know I think they they're they're loving it they enjoy it um you know uh, I don't feel like I've changed though <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm the same old same old so um but no I think um, you know and I know my parents parents are loving it and they, they enjoy coming to New York and, and watching games here what do you got on the uh, nickname of the machine? uh it's just funny um yeah started by Gary Sanchez carried on by a few other guys um and I hear it about 20 times a day from Gary so yeah um you know it's funny
0: individually and, and there's still a long way to go but if you were to win a batting title you know the last time a guy won a batting title in both leagues so it depends who you ask you know You've probably heard this. Some have said it's never happened, and some will say, I guess, Major League Baseball honors that in 1902 it it did happen, where a guy there was the Federalist League and the American League, the National League, whatever, that a guy won a batting title in, in both leagues. Have you allowed yourself to go there?
2: Um, I mean, it's hard not to think about that, but at the same time, um, uh, no. I mean, once the game starts, or you know, really. Just in general, I, I mean, this game's so hard. I'm just trying to, <laughs> just trying to do well, produce for the team, and, and um, you know, obviously it'd be cool, but um, no, I don't. It's not like I go up to bat thinking about that. No. How
0: gratifying against your old team, against your old buddies, to perform the way you have.
2: Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a little extra motivation, but really. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I enjoy, you know, I mean, those guys are it's just a great group of guys. So um, it's like, it's bittersweet um, because I'm, you know, it's a little extra motivation, but I really I hope these guys all do well and I hope they, you know, have a good year. So it's like bittersweet. Yeah. As busy
0: as you are, do you find yourself... Checking the standings or, or looking at uh, you know MLB Network and Quick Pitch to see how uh, see how they're doing each night.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, and a lot of times our game gets over and, and then the Rockies are in like the third or fourth inning, so I usually tune in to see how they're doing.
1: So he is a grown-ass man, but he is also a quiet man. So I enjoyed that interview, Drew, because you just don't hear a lot from DJ. And uh, he kind of picks up steam as you guys went through the interview. And, you know, he's humble. He's happy to be there. He misses his teammates in Colorado. And uh, I know you talking to some of the guys, they miss him too. Uh,
0: And they knew they were going to miss him. They were going to miss him on the field. They were going to miss him in the clubhouse. They were going to miss him you know, off the field when they weren't talking baseball and and thinking baseball because he's a great guy. But he had uh, and has a toughness that does not have to be demonstrated verbally, how he prepares, how he goes about his business, how consistent he was um, on the field in his preparation and just in his personality, even as as a more quiet guy. You know, he would pick his spots to to say something, but uh, they missed that. And they knew they were going to they were going to miss that. And the organization knew that, you know, it wasn't simply, okay. we're going to let DJ walk out the door and he's going to instantaneously be replaced by a combination of McMahon and Hampson and, you know, uh, eventually, um, you know, somebody else. So they were aware of that. But I love DJ and I and I and I love how. He just he just has a, he has a really good vibe to him. Mm-hmm. He's a fun guy to kid because I said he had to marry Jordan. His wife's a doll, but she does all the talking for both of them or at least 90 percent of it. And everybody knows that. I mean, his buddies listen, his teammates will go. Listen, if they if we really need to get something done, we'll call Jordan and and make sure that that DJ does. it.
1: <laughs> you know, one thing that he uh, probably also misses is the Denver media, the Denver media. Very good media, but then you go from Denver to New York, and you could speak to that, right? Sure. I mean that that that's a totally different beast.
0: It is, Julie. But he's a darling now in New York. Initially, I had friends of mine, you know, died in the wool New York Yankee fans, call me up say, you know, we we heard about Lemayhew. It's like we're we're on Siberia, right? In Colorado, yeah, okay, good player in Colorado. That doesn't mean jack when it comes to the New York Yankees, right? Well, within just a couple of weeks they realized wait a second this guy's getting big hits this guy can defend three different positions you can play short too if you needed to and he's really good he has been the yankees mvp through a hundred plus games this is a team that when we were in new york they had the best record in baseball they've been going you know back and forth with the dodgers best record in baseball yet they have had not just you know, a, a tough injury or two. They have played this season without Stanton for most of it, without Judge for most of it. They've had a multitude of injuries, and the, the steady light every day has been D.J. LeMahieu. And now, not only do the Yankees recognize him and the Yankees fans and the Yankees media recognize him as the unquestioned MVP of this season for them, But the national media has jumped on and say, hey, he's kind of a dark horse MVP candidate in the American League. That's how impactful he's been.
1: That is awesome. All right. We're going to end the podcast with a quick game of would you rather. And I am totally going to put you on the spot on the first question. And I can only do that because you're in Cincinnati and I'm in Denver. Okay.
0: well, you think what was I going to what would I do if I was sitting next to you? You're gonna put me on the spot anyhow.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I would I might get a I might get a look. All right. This is a toughie. Would you rather the Rockies stay put at the trading deadline or make a move?
0: Well, you we probably need more context to that question. I mean, what kind of moves? Um how significant are the moves? So give me a little more context.
1: Uh, should they should they buy or should they sell?
0: Well, I, the over here's how I'll answer that. Okay, overall, the Rockies are in a really nice window because they have some elite talent, and I still think even though they haven't pitched like it, uh, you, I love Herman Marquez. Herman was. Great. The last two starts yesterday in Cincinnati and his previous start at Yankee Stadium, both seven innings, both two runs. He's been terrific. Kyle Freeland, we talked about. Um, Arenado and Story and Dahl and Blackman, they're in win now mode. So, yeah, I don't I don't want to see them get getting rid of any part of the nucleus. I'd like to see them add. Will it be enough in 2019? I don't know. It's hard. There's there's a lot of competition to add certain pieces, but I want to see them continue to build and make this team a championship-caliber team. So I guess that would be how I would answer that.
1: Very good. Uh, would you rather read a book written by former baseball commissioner Bud Seeley? He has one that's just released. It's called For the Good of the Game. Or would you rather read a book written by former NBA commissioner David Stern?
0: I would rather you know I'm immersed in baseball so I'd rather read Bud Selig's book Nothing Against David Stern because Bud Selig was the commissioner of baseball in a fascinating period the the height of the PEDs um, a number of work stoppages originally changes in the postseason with the wild card and aborted change to the All-Star Game, which impacted the World Series for a while when the winner of the All-Star Game, they would have home field advantage. So there were a number of uh, fascinating things that took place during his tenure and being in baseball and living baseball and um, getting to eat because of baseball. I'm reading Bud Selig's book first. <laughs> And you're buying it for me, which is such a wonderful gift. And I I can't (laughs) tell you how much I appreciate that.
1: That's uh, well, so we just did our third podcast episode and you get a gift every three episodes that we do. So that that will be your gift. Okay. would you rather listen to baseball players mic'd up on first base or mic'd up during a meeting on the mound?
0: First base. All right, Johnny, here's here's how it goes on the mound. This how I imagine it. Hey, Johnny, listen, man. You are in a good place. You're okay. We need we need to get strike one here. Okay? No problem. We got a little traffic. We need to get strike one. You get out of this, give me a ground ball here, we'll be good. All right? slap him on the ass and you go and you walk off the field. That's what we're gonna get. <laughs> at first base, you're gonna get diverse conversations depending on who's there. I mean, you could just look at Daniel Murphy and you know you know, Murph's seems like a little different cat. You have you have right. some some personalities who play first base that can engage in conversation. And then you it's like meeting a new neighbor. You never know who gets on first base. The next guy, you know, could be a really quiet guy. You're trying to draw something out of him, or it could be a gregarious personality. It could be like Eric Burns at first base and he's talking a mile a minute. So, First base mm-hmm. conversations; those are the guys that should be mic'd up. You're onto something, Julie. I, I really that you know we, in the All Star game, it was great. Freddie Freeman comes up and he's and he's mic'd, and you know he gets in the batter's box and he's facing Justin Verlander. That was great theater. Was a lot of fun. Ain't no way it's ever going to happen in a real game, right? You know, <laughs> it's not going to happen during the season, but. As we try to move the needle and engage the younger folks, yeah in baseball, if you miked up a first baseman and could eavesdrop on those conversations, it's not really distracting from you know, a hitter trying to hit a 97 mile an hour fastball. I mean, that, as I said, that, that couldn't right. be, but I, I think you're onto something with, with the, it, it's like driving around. What was that? The, uh, the show where it's conversations with the taxi driver or whatever the heck that was. Right. First yeah. baseman, man.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I asked that question because I used to know the pitching coach in San Diego and he said, sometimes they would go out there and they would just start cracking jokes just to chill out the pitcher you know just to yeah. just to be like okay let's let's take the stress down a level so i don't know those conversations might be interesting okay last question would you rather sit in coach in the middle seat of a plane or first class but the person next to you snores the entire time
0: okay i had this we were flying to um barcelona last winter and mm-hmm. My family went at, at separate times, so I was flying with my youngest. We were just separated by a day because one of my kids was had another final to take. So anyhow, um, Gabe and I are flying to Barcelona, and the guy in front and we're not we weren't in first class. The guy in front of us was snoring so badly that the flight attendant came around and everybody within like fifteen feet of this guy. They gave earplugs to.
1: Oh my God. Unsolicited.
0: It wasn't like, yeah, I've never seen that before. It wasn't like I raised my hand and said, Hey, this, you know, I, and I, I wanted to, I, I didn't do this, but I wanted to like wake the guy up or something. Oh, yeah. He snored literally, he must've taken some sort of drug because he snored from wheels up to wheels down. Holy. Cow. Um, so getting back to yeah, it was bad. So getting back to your question, so snoring in first class or middle seat in, um, in coach.
1: First. Class yeah.
0: Be pain, though. Some of it. we also know, we also know, so and I don't want to be cruel or rude here. Some of it has to do with, um, the people around you. If you're in the middle seat, hygiene, <laughs> body size, I mean, I'm just being honest, right? Totally. You know, if, if two left tackles are sitting on either side of you probably not fun. If armpit guy here's here's one of my rules Julie you got me off on a tangent now. When for all of those people that like to fly when you there, there's some decorum that needs to be adhered to when you fly, okay Do not wear your muscle shirt. OK, if you're a guy out there and you're proud and you're proud that you work out and you lift, I'm proud I work out. I, you know, Julie, I love to stay in great shape. Right. I'm not wearing a muscle shirt on the plane. One's armpits should not be hanging out when you get on United Flight 222. OK, I kind of want
1: to travel That's rule with you
0: number one, two and three. You can travel with me anytime. OK, there's going to be a, my, if I'm wearing short sleeves It's gonna be it's gonna be down over my armpits. (laughs) All right? I don't want armpit guy next to me.
1: So before we offend everybody else, because I'm kind of on the same page as you are, uh, we will wrap up podcast number three. Want to remind everybody to check out our website at the drewgoodmanpodcast.com. You can submit your questions there. If you want to ask us any questions, I always say keep them classy, but we'll pretty much an- answer anything. Uh, you can submit your questions there. You can order your book there, which we're going to get back to some of those stories a little bit later in some of our podcasts and find out why the heck we decided to do a podcast together. Sound good?
0: Yes, I I love it. I'm glad you did the plug because I would have messed up everything. But yes, you can get the book there. You can interact with us. You can give us ideas for future podcasts. Uh, We're really excited about this. And we'll also have we'll take some of your ideas on proper, um, proper uh, airport and flight (laughs) decor.
1: I hope we get some of those. Drew, I'll see you next week back at home of Coors Field.
0: That's right. It's been a long time. I'm going to have to get uh, MapQuest from you to find uh, Coors Field because it feels like we haven't been home in ages.
1: Very good. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman. Remember, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And remember, check out our website at thedrewgoodmanpodcast.com.